0: You're listening to a Communities Building Power for Health production, brought to you by The Praxis Project. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Communities Building Power for Health podcast series, where we speak with folks from grassroots, community-based organizations working to build power and improve the health and wellness of their communities. We visit organizations around the country and ask them to share valuable advice, insight, and experiences into their activism, advocacy, and legislative work to create health equity. This is Adrian. I'm here in San Francisco's Mission District at the offices of this webisode's featured organization, Poder. Uh, here with Tere. Uh, Tere, could you please introduce yourself and your organization to our listeners?
1: So my name is Tere Almaguer. I have been working at Poder for 17 years, so it's been a big chunk of my life. (laughs) Um, And I am currently an environmental justice organizer here. Um, In San Francisco, we work primarily in the Excelsior and Mission districts of the city. And For about 15 years, I helped coordinate the youth programming, but now I am transitioning more into coordinating our urban agriculture program and doing environmental justice organizing. San Francisco has experienced what some folks call hyper-gentrification, displacement. In the last 20 years, we have seen massive amounts of, of displacement of communities of color, of black and brown families, of working class people, of working class businesses and arts and culture and we've also seen a decline in um, public resources available. And so I think we're living in a city where um, I think City Hall turned its back on the working class people that built this, this beautiful city and pretty much handed it over to um, tech and to developers who are all about the profit and not necessarily the people in the community. You know, I think that's kind of like the situation that we're in, um, but um, I think San Francisco is a beautiful place with a lot of history of organizing, with a lot of her story of um, resilience, of resistance, of, of working collaboratively to um, ensure that there's resources for our communities. Um, San Francisco's always been a transient community where you know, immigrants from all over the world, and then the mission specifically, immigrants from Central America, from Mexico, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, um, have come here searching for for justice, um, escaping um, war at home. Um, War many times funded by the U.S., imposed by the U.S. Um, It's been a place where people have been able to have spaces for arts and culture, like the Mission Cultural Center, where we have space for beautiful resistance through art and murals, where we have had amazing organizing to ensure that we have, you know, the mental health care services that our community has needed after living through, you know, very intense, gruesome wars in El Salvador and in Guatemala. So I mean I feel like it's it's a place of, of a lot of resistance and res- and and resilience and organizing. And even though there's a narrative out there that, you know, everybody's been kicked out of SF, you know, we're still here. There's still a stronghold of folks that, you know, have made this their home. Sometimes you have to commute in, (laughs) but this is still their home, you know, because we built this city and, and they can't just take it away from us, so.
0: How do you approach advocating for the city to prioritize the health and wellness needs of your community?
1: So, I mean, I think all the services that the city provides for the community have been services that people have organized and fought for, you know? Funds for youth programming, funds for parks, funds for any kind of activity. Um, you know, we have that that history of people making that demand upon city hall, and so I I feel like um, poder stands on that legacy of organizing and really giving thanks to all the um, the movers and shakers that have created such a fertile ground for for um, for resistance and for organizing. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Can you talk about some issues and challenges uh, you and your organization are dealing with right now?
1: I think some of the the major issues in San Francisco are just the cost of living. Like, it's just really expensive to live here. And whereas in the last 20, 30 years, you know, housing has gone up a significant amount, um, food has gone up, everything's gone up because all the businesses are paying these astronomical rents, right? Um, and so we're paying more for everything um, because Somebody has to pay for those rent hikes. People are having to work more jobs. People are having to live in more crowded conditions. We have a lot of families that live in one room or studio apartments, but have no other choice because there is nothing available for them to move into. And so I think, you know, inflation has been a huge issue, right? Like wages haven't gone up, but cost of living has super gone up i remember i'm not that old but i remember when i was young you would pay five dollars for a youth fast pass and now luckily because of organizing we've been able to secure fast passes as a city for all youth that need it but like an adult fast pass is like almost a hundred dollars and so what are the situations being created for people when wages aren't going up but costs all cost of living is going up can you talk
0: more about um uh, your successes uh, when it comes to advocating and organizing for the health equity of, of, of your community?
1: So the two campaigns that we work at at Poder are Pueblote, um, which is bringing together two words, Pueblo meaning the people, and Lotes meaning lots, and really looking at like how are we reclaiming public lands for the community. And what we've been seeing is that a lot of public lands have been sold from the city to private developers to develop market rate housing. And so how do we ensure that public lots, which are supposed to be for the community, are being utilized in that way? Our other campaign is more looking at like how we're reclaiming our economies within our cities, and how do we build solidarity economies that are providing support for all our families. And so really looking at like what are the ways in which we are um, creating policies that support our communities at the city level, at the statewide level, and then how are we putting policy work into practice through our campaigns. And so within our Pueblote campaign, we've been able to organize and successfully reclaim land, to build affordable housing, to build a farm, to build a park, and then looking at what are the ways in which we are creating opportunity for community to build the skills to learn how to govern collectively those spaces. So that we always have access to them, and that the programming that we're providing, and the activities that we're providing, and the space that we're providing, are arming people with the skills needed to be able to thrive in the city where it's really, really hard to 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 live, right? Because it's so expensive, because there's so much competition um, for housing, for space, um, and be, and a place where you know a lot of the time it just costs a lot of money to do anything, right? So what? How are families able to thrive in these public spaces that are supposed to be serving our community five of the principles that we always that we've created through our pueblo TE process um, specifically around our farm that we open it's called hummingbird farm is um, how do we create spaces where we're always having um, uh, regeneration like what are ways in which we are able to regenerate, through growing food, through growing native plants, through supporting local pollinators, through having access, when we grow food, to not only the food, right, that's organic, that's accessible to our communities, but people are learning how to do that in pots in their homes, in their backyards, or, you know, like it's a skill that you take with you. And how is that regeneration supported? How are we supporting each other through that? Also, like, what are the skills we need for governance, right? We realize that, like, we're not taught to govern collectively anything, anywhere. Everything's a hierarchy. You have a boss. You have a teacher. You have someone who's in charge and is going to tell you what to do, right? So what are the skills we need to build kind of like that collective arm of or that those collective skills to be able to work? together in a way in which we're dealing with like a lot of um, the traumas that, that arise a lot of times coming from families that have been exploited workers their whole lives. Coming from families that, you know, are farm workers, and um, coming from families where, maybe, um, you know, back in our home countries, you know, we were working land, working on land that was somebody else's, or, and so we've developed a curriculum around, you know, acknowledging those traumas and figuring out what are the ways in which we work through them to be able to work together and collectively and in a way. Um, Also trying to create spaces for intergenerational um, organizing, like what are ways in which we're learning from elders, and elders are learning from youth, so that we're able to, you know, share knowledge across not just age, but for a lot of us, across kind of like cultural boundaries, right? A lot of our grandparents were born and raised in another country in a different time, under different circumstances, and there's like a big disconnection between youth and elders um, in immigrant communities because growing up in the U.S. just shapes and forms you in such a different way. And so really, like, how are we using this opportunity to to have more access to traditional knowledge that, you know, has was successful in having and keeping our grandparents healthy and thriving into their 90s and then how do we look at kind of like the health impacts of our parents who are like really sick and taking pills at 50 and 60, right? And so looking at like what how, what's the learning that needs to happen there both ways and what are ways in which we're building to, to have that be a stronger connection. How are we building across cultures? Um, In the Excelsior, where we opened up Hummingbird Farm, we have the most diverse immigrant population, Um, and a lot of times people don't speak English. And so, really, like, celebrating cultural, cultural activities has been a way in which our community has identified opportunities to talk to neighbors, when you don't speak the same language through, you know, working the land and sharing um, different farming practices or gardening practices or even as simple as like making dishes for each other from your um, respective cultural backgrounds right so what are ways in which we're able to build across cultures and in a ways which is building bridging you know solidarity um, bridging more um, understanding and really looking more at the similarities of of why as a commu- as communities we've immigrated to, to this space of San Francisco and like how are we supporting each other and especially in such an anti-immigrant time in in this country I mean and I don't know when this country's been pro immigrant. unless you go way back to the Mayflower and but like um, but you know, like looking at like what are the ways in which we could, you know, build stronger a stronger community across cultures. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, just so really looking at like what are the ways in which all of these, and you know, we're not ju- we're reclaiming land for healing, right? Because, you know, obvious it's like you know when you have land and you're growing food, you're gonna eat healthier. But really, like also, what are the ways in which we're able to like have everyday people? feel like they're contributing towards taking climate action every day. You know, like how is growing your own food in your in your own neighborhood taking climate action um, because we're not gonna be, you know, importing food from some other faraway place and using all these fossil fuels to get it here. And then how are we working on ensuring that people just understand and know that like, these are important things that need to be done in order to kind of like restore global health also. Um, I think one of our um, mottos is that, um, or one of the things we always say in our program is, um, and something that we've, we've learned from our elders is that we are a reflection of the land, and the land is a reflection of us. And so um, in this time of like, you know, all these different health issues that are arising because of the the lack of healthy food that we have accessible to our communities. How are we able to, you know, as we heal um, ourselves, heal and and heal land? Like, how are we reflecting each other that healing in that way, right? Which um, I think is really important. Through we're rooted in environmental justice, and um, and really act, and you know really active about seeing this work as you know. Active resistance and um, active resilience and climate justice work, and so part of also what we've been doing is building with organizations across the nation through the Climate Justice Alliance and organizations across the state through the California Environmental Justice Alliance, and really looking at like how are we building solidarity with other groups who um, are also you know reclaiming land to you know, meet the needs of their community through housing and, and growing food. And, and so really being kind of like that, that site where we're um, building solidarity and, and building bridges to create that network of resilience across the state and the country. Um, I think has been really important, you know, giving tours, doing um, exchanges, skill shares. Some of our members have gone to like the Central Valley to meet with different groups, um, also to different parts of the, of the country. I think that that's really important to feel like a, as a part of something bigger than just yourself. Also, like at the interpersonal level, a lot of us come from farm worker families. That's how our, our families made it to the U.S. through the Robacero program, which is, you know, basically like an indentured servitude program that came up in the 40s when they couldn't find folks to work in the farms, in the, you know, to be field hands in in California to pick food, to, to grow food. That's how my my, um, grandfather made it to California. And it's like a common story with a lot of the the youth, especially here that are in this area. The U.S. recruited heavily in Michoacan, Jalisco, and Guanajuato, which is where a lot of the families from Mexico um, that immigrated here are from. Um, And so, you know, like for a lot of our families, being a campesino is like, like not something you want to be, not something that you're proud of. It's kind of like, oh, you know, like it's hard work. It's um, a job that continues to be heavily exploited. You're exposed to pesticides. A lot of times, there isn't a lot of um, rights that you have as a worker that are enforceable. I'm grateful to the United Farm Workers and Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez and all the work that's been been done to to help farm workers have a, a more dignified job. But knowing that you know it's still not something that's like you know paid well or honored even though we all need to eat and so i think a big part also like at the personal level is like acknowledging that you know it's a word that we need to reclaim and be proud of because when we ha- are in relationship to the earth and growing our own food that's when we can restore our health right because when we don't have we when we don't know where our food comes from when it's something that we just buy somewhere we don't know how it's grown grows it it's GMO modified I mean it might have a label but you really never know what kind of pesticides were used and so really looking at like how are we reclaiming that word as something that we need to be proud of because that's our roots right those are the skills that our, our families have and and um, prior to coming to the US um, they were a lot healthier <laughs> than we are now, right? I mean, the American dream was to come to the U.S. and I guess, I don't know, go to school and they get an office job and they didn't foresee diabetes and hypertension and strokes and, and all these other things that are like really plaguing our community and, and and creating such unhealthiness within our families. And so those are also things that, you know, we that are important as far as like this farm, like how are we connecting to to our ancestral wisdom and our traditions to be healthier. Another thing that we're really working on within reclaiming our solidarity economy is like, how do we create social enterprises in which we're building out our skills, the skills of our community leaders, the skills of our youth, so that we're creating businesses that are first and foremost are thinking about the well-being of our community and of mother earth before profits right how is that like not something something that's not negotiable right and i think that um and that's totally possible right i feel like there's um this idea that in order to make money you have to exploit to exploit workers you have to exploit the earth um, for, by extracting resources you have to like um, work exploit yourself in your time and so really looking at like how do we change that right and and be a model for what are things that we can do to be sustainable to be regenerative and and um, have a, a successful business that that is good for our our bodies ourselves our community and, and mother Earth.
0: What are some best practices or insights that you've learned during this work that you can share to organizations who are you know working towards a similar goal of creating health equity in their community?
1: So as an environmental justice organization, you know we have uh, two basic principles that we always think about and one is we speak for ourselves, which is basically that you know Neighbors or people in their neighborhood are experts of what should happen in their neighborhood. Nobody could speak for them But themselves the second one is bottom-up organizing, right? I think, you know, we've been victims of um, and I mean I think we've been victims of environmental racism, where people at City Hall decide what's gonna happen in your neighborhood, and that's when they place, that's that's what we've seen happen, not just in the US, but worldwide, is that they place most, the brunt of pollution and industry in poor communities of color, right? And so, because of those things, you know, one of the things at Poder that we really value is really ensuring that we're community led, that we know what the community wants, and that we're doing what the community wants. And so, um, for example, for Hummingbird Farm, and we do this for all our projects, is, you know, the first thing we do is we door knock and ask people, well, do you want this? What do you want? Like, you know, really um, doing surveys to ensure that, like, we're going in the right direction. And I think we, we conducted about 300 surveys mm-hmm. um, in 2013, um, and f- people really wanted the farm, and that's where we got the, our principles from that guide us. That's where we got st- some of the programming ideas, and that's where we got pretty much most of the foundation of the program came from, from those surveys, um, from elder interviews that we did and from community focus groups, and so I think you know, just to give advice to any other group, the first thing you have to do whenever you're doing a project is really talk to community at multiple levels and figure out what it is that people want, right? Mm -hmm. We've been involved in in community planning, people-powered planning, we say, for over 20 years, and one of our first community survey projects that we did within our people planning campaign really informed us that, you know, the top three priorities for people in San Francisco in the early 2000s was housing, jobs and open green space, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's a little obvious, right? But it's not until you ask that you get a response that um, you're able to move forward and feel good and comfortable that you have community support and community backup and whatever it is that you're doing and that community truly is leading kind of like any kind of process. So I guess my, my advice would be, you know, there's expertise and there's a lot of knowledge and community and I feel like a lot of times City Hall and other power structures, institutional power structures, never tap into that wealth of information and expertise. And I feel like as community organizations, um, that needs to be our foundation and that needs to be what what motivates us and pushes us forward. Um, and that only makes you like stronger, right? Because if you're able to, to yeah, so as, as a guiding force. Other advice I'd give to other groups is... Um, before we were, eight, we started, and I'm talking a lot about the farm because that's the project I've been working more closely with in the last couple of years. Cool. But, um, you know, we visited about 10 farms before we even thought about opening a farm in the Bay Area. And one of the things that we heard from almost everybody was, you know, start small and build out. <laughs> so I think really looking at like, you know, how do we start small and really get strong and then, you know, build, you know, have a good plan for how you're building out so that you don't feel overwhelmed. We are currently, uh, the farm is is, uh, is on like a plot of about six acres. And currently we only have like, we're only using like about an acre. And so part of that build out has been um, working with our Youth Urban next Program who has pretty much spearheaded the organizing process for the farm and the campaign, and really investing in them to learn more about permaculture, to learn about governance, to learn about propagating and and growing seeds and plants and native plants. And so what are the ways in which you could create a strong team to really help with with a campaign, right? And I feel like that's a lot of investment, doing a lot of investment in leadership development. And it's not just like bringing in an expert, but then how do you build up that expertise within within your base? I know that um, one of the thing, one of the projects that we're working on in, in year two of the farm is doing wetland restoration on the farm, right? So, what are the ways in which we could, we have a farm, you know, that's non traditional, that has a thousand SF native plants creating beautiful atmosphere for all our local pollinators to come, and then how are we re, you know doing wetland restoration to restore one of the watersheds that you know has been covered up by development and then how do we have that you know live in harmony with like our food growing section, right? and so you know really look it's like um. It's like community planning, right? <laughs> like how are we creating all these different, kind of like different micro, micro um, climates or micro environments? How are they working in harmony with each other? I think is really, really important. And then how is that an educational space for everybody to come and learn and really be able to, to take that anywhere else, right? And so, and um, we have, and we have, big dreams and plans for the next five, ten years and so hoping that like you know when people visit us again in 10 years like we'll be using up most of the six acres and um, and how is that a way in which we could create harmony within all the different spaces on the farm.
0: We we, we touched on a lot, and you answered my question about the farm. Is um, something that we didn't touch on or something that we didn't really, uh, something important about PODER that we didn't talk about that you, you feel people, people should know?
1: We've been working hard for over 20 years to um, really build the leadership of, of our members and our community to be active in deciding what's going on in their neighborhoods, what's going on in their community. And um, I think that that's been our, our strongest kind of strategy mm-hmm. um, is really investing in, in our local leadership so that um, we're able to, you know, reclaim public lands, reclaim um, our economy um, in a way in which it's, you know, shifting the narrative from um, the way things always have been done within these structures to um, a way in which we have more of a say, in which we were able to um, uh, create situations that are better for our health and for the health of the planet, right? And so, how do we, um, how do we, how do we do that? Um, uh, I, at, in different places, I think um, the first thing is to just take an assessment of all the the skills, the talents, the the um, the beauty that are in your your neighborhoods, your cities, and um, and and work with that. You know? So
0: that was a really great answer. Thank Sorry, you. <laughs> no, it was, it was awesome. It was okay, thank you.